Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I logged an eight-hour stream yesterday, had a little bit of trouble going to sleep last night, woke up early this morning with some Christmas morning jitters. I am ready to talk March of the Machines draft with you. I have a question for you, because I know that you were a like guitar hero rock band player at some point. Oh, for your- sure. In your youth, when you were logging long hours in the rock band Guitar Hero world, when you tried to go to sleep, did you see like color patterns (laughs) in your eyes closed? I was wondering if maybe as you fell asleep, you were seeing draft picks or battles transforming. I don't know. What were you seeing last night? I was. I was going over the games. I was thinking about what I was going to talk about on the podcast this morning. This format is just so awesome to talk about. There's so much to do, but uh, I was never quite that guitar hero. You know, I didn't never, never saw the colors as I was drifting off to sleep. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't, I don't think I'm alone, but if I am, maybe I need some, need some help. <laughs> um, yeah, we have a ton to talk about. I will, we'll, we'll get to this in a little bit. Um, but I had a sort of uh, reborn again. Um, as I interacted with Ben, I was watching his stream on, I think it was Thursday night and really just like I thought I had this format figured out, but I now have a real like solid approach to it that I feel very confident in currently. Not confident that it's like the only way, but confident that it is um, the correct way currently for me to approach the format. So really excited to talk to you about this set. Finally, like last week, I was basically just interviewing you <laughs> having done the one sealed. But now I feel like got a ton of drafts under my belt and I can go go toe to toe with you a little bit. And I think we're mostly lockstep, but I'm going to be excited to see where we differ a little bit because I learned a lot from you last week. And I'm, I think I'm going to learn a lot from you this week. Well, absolutely. And I think Important to note, this format is deep enough and complex enough that there are going to be tons of different approaches that you can be successful with. But the main thing is you have to have an approach. (laughs) Yes. Or you're going to get lost in the sauce. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's get a few housekeeping things out of the way. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. But that support is a huge part of what keeps the show going. So just a huge thank you to everybody who is supporting our show via the Patreon, who has done it in the past, who continues to do it currently. It's just incredible to see that kind of support outpouring each and every week. And our Discord community, the Discord, which is what everyone gets access to by giving back to the Patreon, the Discord community is, I don't know what, what's past thriving. It's like thriving too well. It's too good. <laughs> it's too active. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that in an impressive way. Just so many people like, what's this build? Here's this deck. How did I do this? Let's talk about this. Let's talk about these cards. Like we have this little fire icon next to the channels where someone has chatted there in like the past, whatever, five or 10 minutes. 
so many fire icons this past <laughs> week with people excited to talk about March of the Machines. So it's awesome to see that um, and awesome to get in on that kind of a community with like-minded, limited individuals. So if that sounds like something that's of interest to you and you're interested in supporting the show in that way, the Patreon page may just be for you. We've got a lot of other great rewards as you move up the ranks there on the tiers on the Patreon page. So check it out. And of course, we want to welcome our new patrons the first week that they join. So I'm going to ask Ben to join me in welcoming this week, Wolfie. William. Jeremiah, Marcos, Fazy, Sam, John, Link, Ben, Christian, Taylor, Matt, Nicholas, Drew, Matthew, Bastion, Caleb, and James. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah. Cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by our new sponsor, CoolStuffInc.com. And you better believe I'm going to be going there to get some March of the Machine sealed product. This format is good enough. Who knows if it's going to end up goat tier or whatnot. I am having a blast playing the games and it's close enough to cube that I think this is going to be one. You want to get a box, you know, stuff it away in the closet and then you've got some friends over, bust that thing out and do a draft, you know, a couple years from now. Great time to get some March of the Machine sealed product from CoolStuffInc.com. We've got a checkout code there, LOL, all caps, that's going to give you 5% off anything you want to do in the store. So even if you're not interested in March the Machine Sealed product, they've got singles, they've got it all over there. Check it out, coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. Make sure you use checkout code LOL. Again, that's our new sponsor, and we really want to show them that we can drive some support their way. Boom. All right, a little, little story time teaser for the rest of the episode here. So Thursday night, I'm drafting after you know a long day of watching Jonah. We just got back from Seattle Wednesday night, whatever. Just trying to get in the groove of things. I got Ben's stream up on one monitor. And he, of course, like the lucker that he is, he has <laughs> he has two copies of Invasion of Fiora in his deck, which is four black black for a four defense battle. When it enters the battlefield, choose one or both, destroy all legendary creatures or destroy all non-legendary creatures. And Wraths and Best of One like this that are somewhat modal are just very, very powerful, especially ones that then flip into. I'm not going to read all of the creature that it transforms into when you defeat the battle, but it's busted as well. Basically gives you the monarch. So Ben's got this, you know, very, very powerful deck. Oh, thank you. He's doing, you're welcome. He's doing a deck tech and, you know, he was like saying, man, it's so hard to do deck techs for this format because if people aren't like engaging with it in the draft in the correct way, it's hard to salvage the deck. He's like, I just feel like if you face, it's like this deck, any, you know, sort of configuration of this deck faces my deck, I'm going to beat you. And I was like, well, of course you are, Ben. You're like, you've two copies of this stupid wrath. Like, uh, obviously, you're going to be able to do that. So that, and as this is happening, I'm drafting what I think is, and I love red black, and I'm I'm drafting uh, my first red black deck of the format, and it ends up, I think, pretty darn good. Like I've got all the things. I've got like five different repeatable sacrifice outlets, triple rouse reinforcements, like the sacrifice fodder, double icker drinker, like tons of rectangle theory stuff. Jury as a sacrifice payoff of like when you sacrifice stuff, it grows. Then when it dies, it deals that much damage to its power to anything. Hoarding broodlord at the top of the curve. We've got removal, volcanic spike, deadly derision. Like this deck just checks all the boxes and the deck goes three, three. And I am the first person to be like, hey, don't be results-oriented about the record of the deck. Like, bad decks do well, good decks don't do well. Like, hard to get a big enough sample size in a best-of-one run. Would you agree? I would definitely agree. But there's more to that record. Like, the games were scrappy. (laughs) The games I won were very close. Like, I think one was just a non-game. My opponent didn't get to play Magic. Another one, I like just barely cobbled together, draining them with drag recyclers and sacrifice stuff. 
And then a third one, I think I just top decked the active treason variant for an oops, I win. Like those were not like decided wins. And the games I lost were resounding losses, <laughs> right? Like they were, they were over seven turns before they were actually over. And I just was top decking against a blue deck and knew that I could not win that top deck war. And so I sent the deck to Ben and I was like, is this deck good? My response, I'm sorry. No, this deck is not good. <laughs> I was like, first of all, you don't need to be sorry. I didn't like, I also did not think it was good. And I was trying to figure out why, because on paper, this deck looks, like I said, it checks all the boxes. You say red black sacrifice is an archetype in this format. You show me this deck. I go, yeah, that's the thing. You, you would agree with that sentiment, right? Yes, except the power level was just way underpowered, right? So Hoarding Broodlord was your best card. That was your your top end finisher. And the next best card you had to go get with it was one of those two removal spells, a Deadly Derision or a Volcanic Spite. That's a giant disaster in this format, I think, in a format as powerful as this. Like if you were in cube and that was your your next best card to go get, you'd be very sad, right? And I think this is, this is way closer to cube than it is to normal draft. And I've had other decks like that in this format, like a green-white aggro deck, where I was like, this looks good. This is like low curve. This has interaction. This has, you know, tricks or ways to push damage. And it fizzles out. 3-3. Three, 1-3. Three, three. And that really turned a light bulb on for me about the kinds of things in this format and helped me frame a lot of what you were talking about. I mean, I basically went into this week doing what you were saying last week of like, the format's about battles. It's about decks that pressure battles and flip them well, or decks that defend battles and have a reason to have the game go longer. And those are the two sort of poles of the format. And that really put a light bulb on for me about, okay, I think I understand now what I should be doing in the draft and what I'm doing wrong currently. And that's what we're going to get to right after this ad. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially since we're constantly growing and changing. Much like a sealed pool to qualify for day two of the Arena Open, it can sometimes seem like life is a puzzle to solve with one correct solution. But that's not true. And even though we know it's not true, it can be hard to separate the truth of our emotions from the truth of a situation. And speaking of the Arena Open, I was recently in a real slump as far as taking multiple attempts by myself, you know, in my apartment and just feeling really bad about not being able to qualify or it being really hard for me to qualify. And it had gotten to where I had a pretty negative relationship with day one of the Arena Open. I had tried last time to tell myself I was going to do one attempt and then start streaming. And I ultimately didn't feel like I could leave that equity on the table in case someone sniped me. And then this time around, I changed it to streaming day one. And I, I did qualify on the first bullet, which was awesome. But I was a way better experience regardless. And I think I'm going to be streaming them from the get go from now on, because it's just a way better mental space for me. That makes me so happy to hear. Sometimes we have all the tools at our disposal to solve a problem, but also happen to be our biggest obstacle in solving that problem. It can be nice to talk things through, and BetterHelp lets you do just that by connecting you with a licensed therapist who can guide you on a journey of self-discovery. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now, back to the show. 
Okay, so we basically split up the show notes into like, I wrote an essay and then Ben wrote an essay. (laughs) And while we're going to have a conversation, I think that's just how we're going to run through this of like, I'm going to talk about my experience this week and my thoughts. And then Ben's got a lot of great stuff to talk about with the power level. Ready to get into it? Let's do it. Okay, so this is, I know, I feel like we see this all the time. This is so different from any set we've seen, but it really is. And I don't mean specifically in terms of like, the cards or how it's like cube, though it is like cube, but about how I'm currently approaching the draft. So in my mind right now, there are these two big pillars of the format, the decks that flip battles and decks that protect battles. And that is a different framing than normal. Like normally you'd be like, yeah, but aren't you just saying aggro and control with different words for this set? Slightly, but like the the two drops, and you said this on your stream and this really resonated with me, the two drops that you draft when you're this sort of aggressive deck, you're not just like, well, I'm low curve and I've got, you know, my one, my good one drop, my two drop, and I'm consistent. If those creatures aren't good at flipping battles, if they're not two mana three one knights that get first strike when you have a knight, or just two mana three ones in general, or evasive threats, or whatever, cards that can grow, or three threes, or things that hit the one threes that protect battles well you're going to have a bad time. Yes, I completely agree with that sentiment. And that's how I was thinking about it last week. And I've I've evolved to the next the next <laughs> stage of thinking no. past flipping <laughs> battles and protecting battles. I've been thinking about decks as offensive or defensive instead of aggro mid-range control or these flipping battles, protecting battles. And I think it's important to use different terminology than aggro and control because I think the games play out way differently than normal aggro games or normal control games because of battles. It changes the games when someone plays a battle. Yes, I totally agree. I mean, it's what you talked about. You don't have to flip it immediately, but there is a threat of flipping. One thing that I've also noticed is like, if it's turn four and I've got good attacks, I'm still hesitant to like swing out because if my opponent has a board presence as well, I'm worried if they play one of those four mana battles that impact the board in a way. Like the turns, you really want to avoid the turns where your opponent casts and flips a battle. And you want to be able to have those turns occur for you as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. And I think the battles change how the games play out because they actually do force people into combat earlier than they would want to be in combat, right? So I think here's the difference between defensive and control decks. If you're a control deck in a normal format of Magic, you get to use your life total as a resource, right? You can mm-hmm. tank some hits from a 3-3, three, three, a 4-4, four, four, then use a removal spell, double spell that turn, boom, you're stable at like six or seven life, right? In this format, you're defending battles, right? It's a defensive deck and you don't get to use your life total as a resource. Once your opponent plays that battle that has, you know, four defense on it, your life total is essentially four, right? I mean, it's not quite that drastic, But once your opponent flips their first battle and you're trying to stop them, it's really hard to turn the game around from that point without a bomby rare. Yes, I totally agree. And I think this brings me to this sort of comparison of cube of like, well, what makes it like cube? Well, it's the power level. And it's so true because we've got we've got the rares and the mythics, we've got the battle slot, we've got the multiverse legend slot, and we've got juiced uncommons and commons, right? So like you're likely to see powerful stuff like that. Like there are just, you know, CCDD seven drops whipping around the table sometimes. If you want access to that sort of top end power bomb style card, you are likely 
to see it, right? I think most of the time, if you're in the right colors, you should expect to end up with a bomb, maybe two if you're lucky in your draft deck. Yeah. So as a result, I'm not really thinking about, as I was doing some coaching sessions a, a couple days ago, you know, people are like, well, what are you thinking about colors or archetypes? And I realized I'm really not thinking about colors or archetypes <laughs> at all. And this is one of the big differences of the format. That's why like, I was like, this is different. We are marching to a beat of a different drum in this format, is that I'm thinking about navigating drafts by power level and curve. Those are the two things dictating my drafts right now. Yes. And I think they're both kind of directly related, right? You either have on the defensive side of things, lots of individually powerful cards, right? That you're trying to get the game towards and cast and win through those individually powerful cards. And if you don't have the individual power, your good curve in a sense, and not playing like bad cards just to have a good curve. But if you have a, a good curve of good creatures, that's also powerful too, right? Because that's how you play offense in the format. And those those offensive decks either snowball by flipping battles or maybe you're not even playing some battles and you're just trying to win with your great offensive cards and you back them up with the only, your one bomb that you got that comes down on turn five or six and you win if you win that way. But regardless of what you're doing, I think if you're playing offense with that curve type thing that's going on, you really, like you said, you have to have the high powered creatures that attack well. Like in a, in a normal deck, Finn the Fangbear, for example, is a good card. You know, maybe you would even say that's a good aggressive card in some formats. It's one on a green for a one three with death touch. And when it attacks and connects, your opponent gets two poison counters. And any any creature with death touch gives your opponent two poison counters. That's a terrible card in a deck that wants to play offense in this format because it's only got one power. So it's bad at flipping battles. And it's very rare that you're going to win with poison with Finn uncontested through the whole game. Yeah, I was doing a, a coaching session where we were presented with uh, two blue two drops. The one that was a, a one three that when it enters or dies, you get to draw a card. Uh, and if you do, you discard a card. And the two one knight that has the Phyrexian flip cost, turns into the 3-3. Three, three. Whenever a creature blocks this creature, it gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Those are the, the two ends of the spectrum, right? Like one of those creatures is terrible at protecting battles and great at pressuring them. And one of those creatures is terrible at pressuring battles and great at protecting them, right? Yes, those are the two ends of the spectrum. But I also, as I was, you know, evolving this offensive defensive yeah, yeah, yeah. theory for myself in my mind, I think I got a little lost in the sauce and I think the actual best things, and there are a lot of cards that do this well in the format too, are the ones that are two-way players that can play yes. offense and defense, and not necessarily because of vigilance or something like that, but that are just great cards no matter the game state. And then your your deck's going to end up slanting one way or the other towards offense or defense, but you want as many of those just great cards on either state of the game, as many as you possibly can get. Yeah, so like, for example, I'm still looking at this red black deck I have on the other screen. So like Blight Reaper Thalid is an example of that. That's the one in a black 2-2. Two -two. Phyrexian Flip Creature turns into a 3-3. Three -three. When it transforms or when it dies, you make a 1-1. One -one. That does both very well. Yes, and costs two mana. That card is an absolute banger in this format. Yes. So here's how I'm approaching drafts. Power level, if I see the most busted cards, and this is an important distinction, like B plus and above grade, no matter their mana value, I take them, I take them and try to get them into my deck. If I don't see those, my default is I'm taking good two drops. And good means first and foremost, what, what Ben was just talking about of creatures that do both before you know which style of deck you want to do. I will often default to the 
creatures that pressure battles well because I think you know if we it's interesting that usually there's like an, an archetype in a format like red white aggro well it's like well you can build that at common well you can build because there's a battle in every pack and no one wants more than three maybe four battles in their deck you can get battles so if you end up in that assertive style deck with the good two drops at pressure battles you will often be able to find you know good if not great battles to flip so i'm defaulting to two drops that are two-way players if i can obviously and then probably defaulting beyond that to two drops that pressure battles well yes i agree so i also delay the decision for a long time sometimes if i have to much like cube i am not worried about making playables at all the cards are so good what i am worried about the thing that i find myself worrying about so 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 much is having a functional curve Yes. Well, I think the other thing is the power level of pack one can vary wildly in the format or just the packs in general. Like sometimes pack one is juiced and you know what you're doing after like four or five picks and you're like, awesome, great. I'm doing this. It's going to be streamlined. Wonderful. But sometimes the packs are kind of duds in the sense that you do have to meet a certain power level threshold for your deck to compete. Right. And sometimes pack one doesn't provide that power level at all. And if you find yourself in that kind of a draft, you really need to try to stay as open as possible so that when the power comes, because it will come, yes, you can take advantage of it and draft the power. So locking in for like slightly above average stuff is a recipe for big trouble in the format, I think. I totally agree. And I mean, we, I, I needled Ben during the crash course about the four mana thing about, oh, you just have, you just love all these four drops. <laughs> so true. But there is so much power at the four mana, five mana, six mana value slot, even all the way down to common sometimes that I'm really not worried about filling those out. So that's why I made the huge distinction earlier of the card has to be, I and mean, this is an arbitrary line I've drawn in the sand, but the card has to be like, B plus grade or above for me to be like, okay, I'll take that. That's a five drop. Speaking of, we get that lordsoflimited.com power rankings uh, spreadsheet updated 17 lands tier list. Lordsoflimited.com. Check it out. Quick plug. Thank you for plugging that. And thank you, Ben and me. I, I also participate so much in, in updating our tier list. <laughs> yeah. Big, big cap. Couldn't do it big without st- you. <laughs> Couldn't do it without me for sure. So here's an example pick that came up for me the other day. The best card, it was a pretty weak pack. The best card in the pack was Invasion of All Growth, and I'm putting best in air quotes. So that's the the four and a black battle. When it comes into play, it deals three damage to any other target, and you gain three life. Flips into a 3-3 three, three flyer that grows and gains you life as other creatures die. That's a, a good card, right? It's fine. Right. Isn't that wild? So I feel like that's the best card, but I was like, do I really want to start my draft with a five mana battle that I'm not that excited by? No. I, I really don't. And so I was worried I was leveling myself with this pick, but I took Wary Thespian out of the pack, which is the one in a green 3-1. When it comes in a player dies, it surveils one. I was like, this card is going to take up so much less real estate in the future of my draft. And it's not going to mess with me mentally about like, I'm not going to feel like I have to state it with green for Wary Thespian. But if I take Invasion of Old Growth at first, that might make me think like, oh, I guess maybe I'm leaning towards black. So I really think like, Whereas if I had seen that, you know, the the Black Wrath battle that you had, obviously I'm snapping that up and being like, yes, this is worth doing, worth taking up a six mana value slot in my deck. But otherwise, I'm just looking for those cheap, good creatures. 
And is this pack one, pick one we're talking about? Pack one, pick one. Yeah, love that pick for a couple of other reasons too. So Weary Thespian also pressures battles well, right? It's going to surveil you towards your good cards, which is important. It's low on the curve, which is great. Leaves you room for high stuff on the curve. Also, I think out of weak packs, the the weaker the packs are, the more I want to trend towards green because I think green gives you the tools to play the good cards when you do see them. Right. If pack one's weak and you get into green and you get some of the cards that let you splash, then you're set up for down the road when the do the good cards do come. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Green is sort of a nice way to toe the line because you're like, well, I could end up in a good, you know, green, white counters. There's definitely good assertive decks there that can flip battles, etc. But green definitely has the tools to be a base multicolor good stuff deck for you. Blighted Burgeoning has been very impressive as the enchant land that incubates two and whatever. There's this good stuff in green for fixing. And I'm so I'm less worried about you know, if I see a B minus grade battle, passing that up for some kind of C plus grade two drop, because I know, yeah, maybe I'm passing this B minus grade battle, I'm gonna see a C plus grade battle. And the difference between those two in my mind isn't that big. Whereas again, the difference of not having a functional curve in this format is so real and such a detriment to any deck success that that's the thing that I'm focusing on. Yes. Okay. This is like our big whatever. The only part of my diatribe here that you were like, I disagree with this. And I I feel like I'm not articulating it well, but maybe I'm also just doing it wrong. I feel like removal is both important and it's not something I stress about getting my hands on because I feel like it is largely plentiful. You have to know it's important and you can't end the draft without any interaction. My early picks of a draft are being dictated by those other two things. And I trust that the removal will come once I figure out what I'm trying to do. I do still, I think, disagree even with you framing it that way. I think the good removal in this format is excellent, very powerful, and that you should be picking it because we want your deck to be powerful, right? And having good interaction is very powerful. And I've, I've been picking the good removal aggressively. And then I think there's a drop with the removal that is interchangeable. And I agree that stuff is going to come at some point and you want maybe one to two of those type of cards. But the premium interaction, I think, is powerful because it it lets you know that you're going to be able to interact early or when you need to or whatever. And interaction plays two ways, right? The good Mm -hmm. removal lets you leverage board position and play offense well. It also lets you play defense really well. So they're going to fit in whatever type of deck or whatever type of game state you find yourself in. Yeah, I I agree with that. And so do you want to shout out some specific removal that you feel like is a a cut above the rest? Yeah, I would say there's three at common and three at uncommon that really stand out to me. I would say Afara's Dispersal in blue at common. That's the two in a blue uh, return target creature to its owner's hand, instant speed, and then surveil two. And it costs two less to cast if it's targeting an attacking creature. That card is insane in this format and we're going to talk more about it later it's definitely the second best blue common maybe pushing on preening champion that's probably a bit of a stretch but it the, both of those cards are just whew, chef's kiss in this format and the data i know we don't want to use the the d word around here <laughs> but the data does bear that out i mean preening champion has inspiring overseer level stats here best common overall at 62.5 percent game and hand win rate afara's dispersal a 
clear second in 61.3%. The next card is Deadly Derision, another removal spell on your list here, at 60.3%. So a full percentage point ahead of Deadly Derision is a Forest Dispersal. I don't think anyone would have pegged that. No, but I think it says a lot about the format, which we'll get into a little later. So Deadly Derision, also excellent. The 2BB, destroy target creature, Planeswalker, make a treasure token. And then Volcanic Spite in red, one in red, deal three to a creature or battle. Um, and then you can take a card from your, your hand and put it on the bottom of your library and then draw a card. All three of those are excellent and very good. And then at the uncommon slot, we've got Elspeth's Smite. What a difference this being one mana makes. Single white mana deals three damage to target attacking or blocking creature. If that creature would die this turn, you exile it instead. Yep, we've got that. Collective Nightmare also, the tuna black instant target creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn, and it's got Convoke. And then Stoke the Flames, two red, red with Convoke, instant, deal four damage to target creature. No, any target. Yeah, any target. What a card. Yeah. Um, Just a a quick rundown of general things that have impressed me since last week as I've actually gotten to play or to double down on from last week. There's a huge difference still between Incubate 2 and Incubate 3 or more. Just cannot stress that enough. And I think this is largely because 1-3 is a good defensive body in this format. And so your 2-2 Incubates just get blanked a lot of the time. Yes. And I think the Incubate 2s can be okay because there's a lot of cards that pump Incubate 2s as well. But if you're if you're centered around Incubate 2, you need to make sure you have those uncommons that, that pump your Incubate 2s. Uh, I finally got a chance to play with Instant Speed Convoke. Oh. It is broken i'm specifically (laughs) shouting out the three blue cards like i knew stoke the flames was gonna be good uh we we already talked about shatter the source that's the six mana deal six with convoke um at common that that's like an overperformer looked clunky it's not the three blue cards are so at common meeting of the minds this was just a classic lords of limited like how many times did this need to get cast against me where i went well, that's a problem <laughs> before I was like, oh, this is just a great card. So this is the three and a blue instant draw two cards with Convoke. Like just being like, I cannot tell you how many times I've been able to just go, oh, I'm quote unquote tapped out. Uh, end of your turn, draw two cards. So good. Well, and that's fundamentally breaking the rules of magic, right? That's yes. what we mean when we say on power mana. level. Like your deck has to meet a certain power level threshold. When your deck is like the red black sacrifice deck and it's like <laughs> playing my thing, playing my... 2-2, sacking it to turn it into a 3-3, and all of it takes you like some amount of time to get that ball rolling and gets easily broken up by interaction. And then your opponent goes, one drop, two drop, preening champion, tap all four of my things, draw two cards, and then like those cards that you draw just fuel each other and you keep can casting more things at instant speed with convoke like you just they're just playing a different game of magic than that red black deck and then at uncommon there's wicked slumber which is three and a blue uh instant tap two creatures and then then put a stun counter on one of them put a stun counter on one of them um again another card that is just fundamentally broken to be able to do for free and even artistic refusal the four blue blue uh choose one or both counter target spell draw two cards discard a card all three of those have just wildly overperformed my expectations. I will say on this note, I did a lot of trying to instant speed convoke yesterday during my eight hour stream, and it was a doozy of a stream. I lost a lot, and I have a newfound respect for what you need to be doing with convoke because they ask things of you, right? Uh-huh. For these cards to be good, you have to meet the requirements of, I have to have some sort of a board presence, right? Like two to three creatures before the cards are broken. 
And if you don't meet those requirements and you've picked these cards highly expecting them to be good, your deck ends up falling a little flat. So it's it's really important to not only have a good curve, but to have a good curve of good cards to turn these on, right? Like playing junkers at the yes. bottom of your curve to turn on your convoke for these types of cards is not the best recipe. And I, I fell into that trap a couple times yesterday. So caution if you're doing this power level ceiling is very high but you have to meet some requirements to do it well and i think the other thing i would say is these cards get worse if you're trying to flip battles and they are better if you are not because that is when you get to use your creatures as both blockers and mana dorks oh for sure yeah all of these instant speed convoke cards are defensive cards they want to go in defensive decks yes completely agree would i be lord tupperware if i didn't talk about (laughs) companions each episode no i would not i'm not going to talk about them at length here because we have a great video up on our youtube channel that i'm really proud of that ben will never watch um that's about (laughs) about i feel terrible i feel like a bad friend no you're fine you're fine i'm just just being silly um it's about all 10 companions sort of about why companions are good in my mind for limited and also a, a ranking of them 10 through one of which ones are the best to do in the format and which ones you probably should steer clear of what the implications are of each of them like what cards to look out for what color or color pair you want to end up with them I put a lot of thought into it so i hope people enjoy it got a lot of really good feedback so far of hey like i wasn't around during a and i thought companions weren't good for limited but you changed my mind and then i trophied whatever so i i think if you're if you're wary of companions and even if you just want to check out a, a nice little 15 minute snackable youtube video go to our uh, our youtube channel but i will say they're real and they're spectacular. Three of my trophies are seven O's with companions. Like companions are not just, oh, this is a meme. These are these are real and they're very good. Two things. Yeah. You know I love a good power ranking, so maybe I maybe I will check out this video. Uh-huh. Thing number two, I don't know what is happening with Twitter right now, but you know how there's like the following and then the yeah. for you tabs? I stay on my for my following mostly because I don't want Twitter pushing things into my feed but uh-huh. i accidentally went into my for you tab last night and it was just full of people tweeting at you like yeah did this thing with the companion love yeah. companion cc lord tupperware like <laughs> companion like just tweet after tweet after tweet it was very weird <laughs> yeah well sorry you gotta, you gotta catch up then um <laughs> it does feel very cool to be like i mean i don't know if like, to have this one thing that you're associated with so everybody's like oh like companion to unlimited gotta tag lord tupperware i'm like I'm not getting sick of it. Please keep adding me <laughs> with your companion Because one thing I put, I'll, I'll, I'll tease the power rankings a little bit. I think Karuga was all the way down at number eight. Mm. I think already I feel like I got to bump it up. I have seen so many Karuga trophies. And you, I mean, really, what is the key to that deck is a far as dispersal. Because you get to interact on turn two. Secret one, baby. All right, that's my big... This is where I'm at with the format. And, you know, whatever, small sample size, et cetera. But here are my my five drafts on Thursday before I had this epiphany. 3-3-1-3-3-3-1-3-3-3. My four drafts on Friday after this epiphany, 7-0-5-3-7-2-4-3. Like, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think I like truly had a breakthrough and a mental shift. And this approach is really working for me. Yes. And I think it's because you're starting to meet power level requirements, right? Which is yes. the, the basic barrier to entry for how you're going to win games in the format, right? If your deck's not powerful enough, people are going to have decks that are very high powered. And if your deck is not very high powered, you're going to lose like just no matter how well you play, 
to the higher power decks, right? That's what I love about draft is that I get a chance to go into a match with a significant advantage because my deck is way better than my opponents. But if you do the wrong things during the draft, you could be very disadvantaged going into a match with your opponent, you know? Yes, absolutely. So I think you just have to go into it with that mindset in this format. And you also have to like know that your opponent's decks are going to be powerful. There are wild swings in these games. There are wraths that invalidate everything that's come before. There's premium interaction. There's battles that are just absolutely insane. If you're not ready for swings, I think you you need to try to mentally prepare yourself for that going into the games. And I think one of the things this format's going to teach you, if you're frustrated by the format or you're saying, you know, like, I just keep drafting decks and I'm losing and I don't know what I'm doing wrong, that's frustrating, right? But I think it's also a great learning opportunity for how to know what is powerful or what makes things powerful when they aren't intrinsically powerful at face value, right? Like this is going to teach you about evaluating the power level of magic cards or the power level of deck and what makes it that way. So I think if you're losing, try to approach it with that mindset. And I think once you start to understand what is powerful, your win rate will go up along with that. And we're not just talking about bombs. We're not just talking about raw power here. That's like, that's the face value of it all. Yes. And I think there are certain things to do if you have the bombs and certain certain things to do if you don't, right? If you've got the bombs, your whole game plan should be don't die and try to find my multiple bombs as consistently as possible and cast them and win with them, right? Or maybe you recur them also if they're if they're creatures. But that is a game plan in and of itself. And then there's also if I don't get those bombs that are going to win the game on their own, that's when you have to be on the offensive side of things and you have to push your curve low. But you also have to do powerful things at offense, right? Just a normal aggro curve ain't going to cut it here. Well, and I think we, we keep talking about the importance of why these assertive decks and, and flipping battles are one on the same. And it's because that's the most reliable way to snowball. I just want to say that as like being able to go two drop, three drop, cast a battle, it impacts the board, I flip it the same turn into an impactful creature, you are very far ahead in that game. That is the way the like real sort of like cherry whipped cream hot fudge on top of the aggro Sunday for you. Yes, that is the most consistently way as a, a, an aggressive deck or an offensive deck to reliably manufacture power in your deck, right? If you don't get cards that are intrinsically powerful. Totally. So I think another thing that we should talk about with power is Afara's Dispersal, because that card is not great in most formats, or or maybe it's good in most formats, but it is truly excellent here for a lot of reasons that tell you a lot about the format, right? And I, I bet I had Afara's Dispersal graded as like a C minus, D plus going into the format. It was it was not high, I am sure. Would you agree similarly? I don't think would that I was agree in either that, of our I top comments, agree right? that you graded it low? Yes, I would agree. <laughs> Did you grade it low? Did you not? Well, now I have to check. I'm sure I also gave it like a D plus would be my guess. Oof. You you hate to see it. We both gave it Ds. Ooh, that's rough. That's rough. So it's like a B. Yeah. Pushing a B plus just because of what it lets you do. But it's more important to understand why it's powerful, right? So if we accept this premise that, you know, you have to play offense or defense in the format, or it's important to be able to do both things because of battles, right? Battles force you into combat. Ifara's dispersal is at its best when combat is happening, right? 
either your opponent is attacking you and for one mana, you get to say, nope, you don't get to flip your battle while then continuing to advance your board. In addition to surveilling two, which is pretty close to drawing a card in this format. Also, the format's powerful enough that there's a lot of card advantage. So as you're getting more card advantage, you don't mind the potential card disadvantage of a forest dispersal. It also, when you're playing defense or heaven forbid, you're playing offense against a blue opponent, like let's say you're a green white counters deck attacking into a single blue open mana with your your brawler that you've grown into a 5-5 five five that's got three plus one plus one counters on it. Are you like, man, I guess I'm going to attack into a Farah's Dispersal here. And if they don't have it, great, I'm in an awesome spot. But if they have it, all the work you've done in the early turns of the game to build up your thing with all these plus one plus one counters to make it into this formidable threat gets undone by a single mana. That is insanely powerful, right? Yes. No, it's it's really tough. Because like, also, what can you do? Like, one mana is, it's like the lowest cost to keep up for the rest of the game so like you're like well if i think they have it i gotta kind of have to make them have it because if they do i'm gonna get got by it at some point anyway well and that takes us to another segment where we're going to talk about the most powerful commons but the most powerful white common is angelic intervention because it solves that problem for you right it enables you to attack into afara's dispersal with impunity and kind of win that fight against your blue opponent, right? So if you Mm -hmm. want to play offense, you need to have angelic interventions to stop the Afara's dispersals of the world that are playing defense. But as far as dispersal, excellent on defense, but also if you're ahead, helps you pressure your advantage as well, right? It's great in both stages of the game and is so good because of how much the format resolves around combat with battles. So uh, we've already talked about instant speed convoke fundamentally breaking the rules of the game. I, I cannot stress how powerful casting free magic cards is, right? So maybe even you don't have bomb rares, but if you have a curve in a, in a deck with convoke cards that goes one drop and then either your two or three drop makes two bodies, so there's a couple different ways to do it, right? There's there's the two drop that makes two one ones in red, browse reinforcements, and then in blue, there's preening champion, the two in a blue, two two flyer that brings a one one along with it. And then you follow those up with either a respective two or three drop to have four creatures on the battlefield on turn three. And then you get a cast and instant speed convoke card that's four mana for free. The game is essentially over at that point. I mean, not really because there are some stupid, powerful cards running around, but you are miles ahead of your opponent at that point. Yeah, it's uh, it's just so hard when you get to cast a four mana card for free, essentially, for you to not be just miles ahead. And instant speed convoke powers up the defensive decks, right? And mm-hmm. I think it is slightly better to plan to play a longer game or plan to protect battles than it is to plan to try to flip battles, just because I think the power level of the cards on the defensive end of the spectrum are a little higher. Yes. Plus, a lot of the defensive cards also, as we mentioned, with far as dispersal or preening champion, are also very good when you're ahead, right? So you get to be good at both offense and defense. But the other thing I will say in favor of decks that are are playing a defensive role or are trying to protect battles, you know exactly how the offensive decks are going to play out in the format because battles dictate how the offensive decks have to play, right? The offensive decks are going to play some creatures that are trying to flip battles and they're going to try to attack the battles and flip them, or they're going to try to attack your life total. Regardless, they're going to be playing some creatures and trying to attack you. Like there's there's not some niche, unique offensive deck in the format. And we all know that like building a control deck from constructed is harder when like the metagame is wider, right? 
in this case, the limited offensive metagame is pretty narrow. Like it's pretty one dimensional in that there's a couple different styles of doing it, whether you're doing it with plus one plus one counters or red black sacrifice or, you know, white blue knights or white green plus one plus one counters. But by and large, the offensive decks are playing creatures and trying to attack battles. Yep. I totally agree. And then, so honestly, once you get there and you're you're playing these these decks that are good at defending, you've got your as far as dispersals to stop your opponent's attackers. I've kind of found myself in in high mythic or well, the dumpsters of mythic lately. <laughs> after yesterday, <laughs> high numbers, unfortunately, but ending up in a lot of defensive mirrors. And I think that's kind of the next level of the format is, mm. you know, winning those blue mirrors when both players are playing for the late game. Well, there's so like, I have also, I think I need to start as I am lagging behind a little bit. I had been defaulting to aggro, but I still, you know, other than, you know, blue red is still pretty darn good for me. Um, I love that invasion of Kaladesh card. I love doing the artifact stuff with that and marauding dreadship, et cetera. Like, I just think there are really good, uh, that's a good way to flip battles, flip cheap battles at uh, at uncommon. But you know, red white, green white, red black, as we talked about, have been decks where like, it, and it feels really bad because basically, like, if I play the battle and you stop me from flipping it, I think I'm just dead. Yes, I think that's. We should just, I think, skip to that section of my notes where we're talking okay. about battles because I, I came in hot on battles, right? Yeah. Battles being the thing that the format revolves around. And I, I thought they were also very powerful. And some of them are extraordinarily powerful. And I, I do stand by that they they dictate how you have to interact with games and combat in the format. Just the fact that, you know, when you're playing defense, you have to be able to protect a battle. Like you, you don't get to use your life total as a resource. I think that that dictates the gameplay in the format. But I will say, if you're not planning to flip your battles, battles are bad, right? So I think some of the people that are saying, well, battles are underpowered, battles are blah, 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 are playing battles without a clear plan for how to flip them immediately. If you're not wanting to flip your battles or having a plan in deck building and in gameplay for how to flip those uncommon battles, they're not going to be good cards for you. No. They are going to be actively bad. They're going to be like four mana bounce your thing and then it just sits there. I mean, you must have played games like this so far where your opponent plays two, three, four battles against you and none of them flip. You're just miles ahead. There's just no way for you to lose that game. Right. Because battles that don't flip, you're getting a bad rate on. So we've talked about like there being a power level barrier to entry in the format. So battles that don't flip way under that barrier to entry, right? If you pay three mana to make a 2-2 Vigilance Knight and then never flip your Invasion of Belanon, I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. That card is doing stone nothing. Like that's a very bad card, even in a normal limited format, much less one that's this high powered. And I I think that is one of the worst battles just in general because it's harder to flip with five defense. But like, let's say you play the the blue white one, which I think is a very good battle that bounces a creature. And then when you flip it, turns into a flyer with power and toughness equal to the number of creatures you control. If you're not flipping that, I think you're significantly disadvantaged in the game. Formatted to bounce a creature is a terrible rate when there's a far as dispersal running around in the format, right? Yeah. But all of a sudden, if you pay four mana to bounce a creature and then get a 4-4 flyer, that's an, a way above average rate in the format, right? Right. Well, that's why engineering these turns as the decks that want to flip battles to be able to, like, unless they're like the two mana ones or whatever that you want to, that you can just play on curve. The four mana ones, like Invasion of Kamigawa, the the one that taps a thing, keeps it tapped, flips into the two, three flyer when it connects, you draw a card. You need to engineer the turns to be cast, attack, flip. 
Because if they're not that, and sometimes maybe you get disrupted, but that should be your plan because that's the way you snowball them. Yes. And again, I would say that one is one of the lower powered ones as as far as they go. But just in general, this concept of like you can do powerful things with battles if you're planning to flip them. You also, if your opponent has battles and you're able to successfully defend them, you're significantly lowering the power of your opponent's cards. Well, and, and you put them in this terrible position for the rest of the game where they're like, do I keep throwing like good money after bad and try and flip this battle? Or do I just ignore it and take the loss? Neither of those feel good. Like you, the more you are able to turn after turn, prevent them from flipping, the worse position your opponent's in. Yeah. So I would say just to shout out a few battles, I think if you're not planning to flip them, you generally shouldn't play them with a few exceptions. There's obviously rare ones that are busted and definitely worth a card on the front side that you're always playing and are going to be pretty good even if you don't flip them. The few at uncommon that I would say that are, are playable even if you're not actively planning to flip them are Invasion of Amonkhet. This one is insane. One of the best ones. Uh, one blue black and when it enters the battlefield each player mills three cards and then your opponent discards a card and you draw a card and then it flips into a 4-4 that can enter the battlefield as a copy of any creature in any graveyard so it gets all those abilities and ETBs. That one's nuts whether or not you flip it. Invasion of Mercadia also very powerful. That's the one in a red one that uh, lets you discard a card and then draw two cards and then flips into a 3-3 that you can discard a card to to make two one ones, and then gives all your creatures plus one plus oh in haste. That one's very powerful. And just the threat of it being on the battlefield is powerful. But you're also just willing to play the card selection half of it in the format. And then Invasion of Bryn, I would say also that's the three and a blue. It's the Sift variant. You draw three, discard a card, and then it flips into an artifact that can copy a spell that you play. Those are all playable whether or not you're planning to flip them. And I would say Invasion of Zendikar is borderline. Like if you don't manage to flip your Invasion of Zendikar, Paying four mana to get two lands feels pretty bad unless you're following it up with some sort of bomb rare. Yeah, I'm with you. So uh, moral of the story here is battles, very high risk, high reward at the uncommon level. And if you don't want to flip them or aren't planning to flip them, just don't play them, I think. Unle yeah, yeah, unless their they're front side is something you're actively interested in. Yes. All right. Lastly, here on power level, before we dive into some specifics on commons and, and archetypes and things like that, but just making sure that your deck is cohesive, right? Your whole deck is really going to be underpowered if it isn't cohesive. And so I think you're trying to, again, on this offense defense thing, want cards that are two-way players first and foremost, right? The more situations that you get yourself in where your cards are good, the better off you're going to be. But then your best cards oftentimes are going to want you to play offense. Maybe they're battles that you're trying to flip, etc. Or your cards are going to be better at defense. Maybe you've got a lot of instant speed convoke, that sort of thing. And you need to figure out what those best cards want you to do and build accordingly when you're filling in the rest of the cards in your deck, because literally just slotting in the right types of filler in this format is the difference between your deck feeling very good or kind of medium, right? Mm -hmm. If you're trying to flip a battle and your two drop is a one powered creature, that is a disaster. I, I just feel like I keep going like, yep, yep, agree, <laughs> yep, agree. <laughs> and and similarly, on that, that note, Angelic Intervention 
is invaluable. We mentioned it earlier. That's the one in a white combat trick that gives a thing uh, protection from a color and puts a plus one plus one counter on it. If you want to play offense, you have to have angelic intervention to be able to attack into the Afara's dispersals of the world, that sort of thing. The only exception for it being good on defense is if you have great rares you want to protect. But also, if you're picking it highly and then not playing offense, it's not going to be a powerful card, right? So I think Angelic Intervention is the best white common, but it asks you to be offensive for it to be the best white common, you know? Right. You're not trying to play combat tricks on defense, like block and then blow your... Like, what are you doing with that? Yeah. So I would say just as the format in a whole, most of the commons aren't that powerful individually, but you can collectively make them more powerful together by putting them in the right archetype, right? Your Sword Sworn Cavaliers, that's the one in a white 3-1 that gets first strike when you play another knight. If you surround that by a bunch of other knights in a blue-whites deck, that card is powerful. 3-1 first strike meets the power level requirements of the format because you can force your opponent into some awkward situations with battles that you force them to try to project. If it's a 3-1, it's way under the power level requirements of the format. Mm-hmm. Similarly, Sunder the Gateway, great in decks that boost Phyrexians or want to incubate or give you benefits for flipping things. If you're playing it as a two mana 2-2, way under the power level requirements of the format and it's just going to get blanked by every card your opponent plays. So other than like those top tier commons, Preening Champion, the really good removal spells we shouted out, beyond that, you really want your commons to like your commons have to be part of a greater than the sum of its parts cohesion cohesive plan. Yes, I think for your for your commons to do anything close to powerful, yes. I would completely agree and I think you're you would prefer to not be in that spot. You would rather just have a lot of really good uncommons and rares. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just to shout out what the most powerful commons are, because I think this is more helpful than ranking the top three, because there's a, a pretty steep drop off in power level of commons. So white angelic intervention, if you're playing offense, I would say the other one that really stands out if you're playing defense is cut short, which is two and a white for convoke and destroy target tapped creature or planeswalker that was activated this turn. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. So I think, again, we've shouted out how powerful instant speed convoke is on defense. Cut short has a similar effect to Afara's dispersal, except it does suffer from like only plays defense, right? So I, I was all hyped up on my offense defense theory yesterday and drafted a, a very good defensive deck with two cut shorts and then promptly got milled out by the the invasion tree that's like the, the millstone thing oh, while I was no. sadly looking at my two cut shorts in hand. So, I mean, that's why that's why two way players I did get out defense. That's why two way players are best, but cut short can be a powerful card for you. Well, and speaking of two-way players, that brings us to the top commons overall, the, the top commons in blue, Afara's Dispersal and Preening Champion. We've talked about them quite a bit this episode, but they both play offense and defense so, so well. And that's partly why blue is so powerful, right? I think blue is, if you've not heard the scuttle, blue is the best color, certainly at common mm-hmm. in the format. I, I don't think quite so much at rare and mythic rare, but what the blue cards let you do is play in a powerful way that is beneficial in the format because they play two ways really well. And they're also excellent at playing defense in addition to being good at offense. Yep. Moving on to black, we've got Deadly Derision, which is great on both offense and defense. I also want to shout out my current pet card in the format, which is Traumatic Revelation. This is one in a black for a sorcery. And when you cast it, you can look at your opponent's hand and remove a creature or battle from it. And they have to discard that card. If they don't, you get to incubate three. This card is very good in a defensive deck because one of the things you're worried about in a defensive deck is your opponent casting some bomb that gives them so much value that you can't overcome. 
Traumatic Revelation gives you some built-in insurance against that. Well, and that that second line of text is so key for this card. It's like, well, when you don't, you still get something from this. Right. Fail case is kind of close to Seraph's Packmate. I mean, mm, not as yeah. good because you don't draw a card, but the <laughs> fact that the fact that on two mana you can look at your opponent's hand, if there's nothing that you're gonna die to, the next turn you get a three three blocker, you're you're pretty stable with a three three blocker. In yeah. this format for two man, like getting to pay in installments is very good. And I, most of the time you're removing a card from your opponent's hand because there's lots of stupid cards running around. But I have really liked Traumatic Revelation. I don't think you need to pick it super highly, but I think it is a good card in the form. Yeah, I think it's an overperformer for sure. And I think the other thing black offers you at common is a lot of utility commons that do work in the right deck, right? Nazumi Informant, I've come around on a little bit. That's the, the one in a black one one that when it ETBs your opponent discards a card. That's really good. If you've got, you know, blue black control deck, you've got some convoke things that you want to do. It's a body. It gets a card up front and then essentially as a mana dork after that for your convoke cards also kind of plays a role in the red black sacrifice deck. I'm, I'm less jazzed about it there than I am in tandem with Convoke cards. I'm just less jazzed about Red Black Sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a little small ball in the format. Yeah. Uh, moving on to Red, we've got Volcanic Spite. Excellent on both offense and defense. And then Red also has a lot of utility comments, I think, similar to Black. Shout out to Rowl's Reinforcements, one of the best things you can do with the Red and Blue Convoke cards. That's the, the one in a Red that makes two one ones. And there's nothing really... For green, like Overgrown Pest is the two and a green, two, two ETBs. You look at the top five, you can pick a land or a double-faced card from among them and put it into your hand. It's powerful in terms of it's a good two for one, but the body doesn't really play offense or defense particularly well. Not that it does, doesn't do either, but it just doesn't do either well. Um, I really feel like, I mean, you tried to shout this out a little bit. I'm all in on Wary Thespian, baby. This is the, the one and a green, three, one. <laughs> surveils one when it ETBs or, or dies. I think this is not only very good on offense, but as a two mana three power creature, it also protects battles pretty darn well too. Yeah, and the card selection from yes. surveilling up front and when it dies, like when it dies later in the game and you get a bin of land, it essentially drew you a card. Yes. Yeah, very good there on Wary Thespian. And I also think Portent Tracker and Blighted Burgeoning is probably the most powerful thing green can do at common for the multicolored bomb decks. I think that is the thing green does best when you can go port and tracker into blighted burgeoning into untap on turn four with seven mana of whatever colors you want. And again, that's that's susceptible to all the normal cube things of drawing your ramp in the wrong order, disclaimer, disclaimer. But if green is doing something well at common, I think it is that. And then just to shout out some uncommons quickly that you might be undervaluing. First of all, Phyrexian Awakening, that's the, the two and a white enchantment that uh, makes a 4-4 incubate token and gives your Phyrexians vigilance. Every time my opponent plays that, I just groan. Like a 4-4 on turn four is way ahead of schedule. It's huge. Yeah, it's really hard. Like if your plan is to try and flip battles... A 4-4 Vigilance is going to put a really, really quick stop to that. Phyrexian Sensor, we talked about this a little bit last week, and if you're in the magic sphere at all on Twitter, you've seen all the things about, well, the stopping, flipping battles, and we shouted that out last week. I also just want to shout out, this is a powerful card. If you're a white deck and you want to play offense, making your opponent's creatures enter the battlefield tapped, mm -hmm. if you're ahead, playing Phyrexian Sensor feels great. It feels like one of the best ways to leverage being ahead as an offensive deck in the format, even if you're not necessarily drafting around Phyrexians yourself. We shouted out Artistic Refusal already. That's the four blue, blue, convoke, counter a spell, and or draw two cards, discard a card. Just 
excellent. Captive Weird, yeah. very important for all those instant speed convoke cards in blue as well. This is the single blue one three with defender. You can pay three mana and a Phyrexian life to flip it. I don't even know. It's red, right? It's red. Three yeah. and a red Phyrexian. I just always pay two life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and when you flip it, it turns into a three three that can attack. And then you exile the top card of your library. You can play that card until the end of your next turn. This is so important for enabling the busted convoke starts. While also just blocking well early, like this card does, it does it both, all. right? It plays defense and plays offense once you flip it. Yeah, for one mana. For one mana. Yeah, does everything. Gift of completion as well. Uh, that's the one in a black. Make a three-three incubate token, and when your Phyrexians die, you surveil one. Similar to my love for traumatic revelation, I do think you know, this kind of has Sarulf's packmate vibes to it. It's not quite that good again, but three-three on turn three pretty huge and then late in the game when you're getting to surveil spinning those lands is very strong we've also got halo forager on this list this is one blue black for the three one flyer when it enters the battlefield you can pay x if you do you exile target instant or sorcery uh from a graveyard from a graveyard can be your opponents as well um and you can cast it this turn that uh that's like snapcaster mage basically is this the best uncommon in the set i don't know i i feel unbeatable when i have this card in my hand and it has wrecked me every time my opponents have cast it it's so strong the thing that keeps making me sad about it is that you have to pay x and you can't convoke convoke. i know yes i've run into that too uh and we already shouted out invasion of amonkhet that's the blue black invasion that card is just really good in control decks much like me shouting out companions would it really be a podcast with ben if we didn't have some kind of power ranking (laughs) got some archetype power rankings here uh tier zero I think, which is a refreshing thing about this format, is wherever you get the most power from your rares, right? I think there are some clear best colors at common and uncommon, and I think you you can already start to see that coalescing in 17 lands. I haven't actually looked, but enough people have told me in Twitch chat that I, I feel like I've looked at 17 lands over and over and over again. But uh, tier zero is wherever you get the power from your rares. I think blue and black, I think, are the two best colors in the format. White, like close on the heels when you pair it with blue. But blue-black for sure, definitely standouts. But the Naya colors can definitely compete if you get the rares. Yep. And then tier one, I think blue-black and blue-white, those two take the cake above the rest for me. Um, I saw blue-white last week. I was not on on the blue-black train yet, but that was before I realized quite how busted Afara's dispersal was. I knew it was good last week, but I, I had bumped it up to like C+. I hadn't quite bumped it up to B yet. And once once you get on the blue black life where you you get to play offense and just your opponent can never attack through your defensive cards, you feel unbeatable. Tier two, we've got green based splashing bombs, um, as we talked about before with the greens fixing, portent tracker plus blighted burgeoning, etc. Um, blue red, I think that's probably my like pet deck of like not being centered around bombs and green white as well. Yeah, and I think if you're packing green white, you have to have multiple angelic interventions yes. or you're going to have a bad time. Yeah. And then I wouldn't go into most other archetypes for commons. I think you you need to be doing it for rares. Yep, I agree. All right. Time to take uh, a look at a few picks from a draft log. Yeah. All right. So here we've got, uh, you know, I already sort of teased my my record, but here we've got uh, my my post epiphany draft log here for you. So pack one, pick one, you sit down, you feel like you've got a really good sense of the format, power level, curve. That's what we're going to be focusing on. Here's what we've got. Nothing really good. In the common slot here, probably the best card is Final Flourish, one on a black instant uh, with Kicker, Sack, and Artifact or Creature. 
Target creature gets minus two, minus two until end of turn. If the spell was kicked, creature gets minus six, minus six until end of turn instead. Looking at the uncommons, our battle is invasion of Moag. That's the two green, white, five defense battle. Puts a plus and plus one counter on each creature you control. Flips into a three, three that grows your creatures at the end of each turn. Uh, Furnace Gremlin, the one in a red, one, two, can smoke breathe it. One in a red gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. When it dies, incubate X where X is its power. And lucky me, we got two rares. One is Ozolith, the Shattered Spire. One green for a legendary artifact. If one or more plus one plus one counters would be put on an artifact or creature you control, that many plus one plus one plus one counters are put on it instead. It can also, as a sorcery, pay one on a green tap to put a counter on target artifact or creature you control. And it even has cycling too. And then our other rare... Kahira the Orphan Guard. It's a companion. Of course I'm going to take it, right? Wrong. This is one. Uh, Selesnia, Selesnia, 3-2. Vigilance. Each other creature you control that's a cat, elemental, nightmare, dinosaur, or beast gets plus one, plus one, and has vigilance. And the companion clause is that each creature card in your starting deck is one of those creature types. So there is a couple ways to jump through some hoops with this card. <laughs> the first is that there are like a handful of these creature types, uh, mostly base green. You have to be base green to get the the cats, the beasts, the dinos. But there are two things that count towards your quote-unquote creature types that aren't creatures for Kahira, and one is the incubate tokens, and two is battles. So you can make this card work. The question is, is it really worth it for a 3-2 with Vigilance? Probably not. Probably not. I think you're taking Ozolith here. That's the, the rare that puts plus one plus one counters on thing. If you're ahead or at parity, Ozolith wins you the game. Agreed. And I don't think it's crazy to think that Invasion of Moag could wheel out of this pack. You know, I've definitely seen there are some tables that know what's up and you don't want to take these sort of middling four mana uncommon battles this early. And so you could end up in a, a nice green white counters deck there. Pack one, pick two. Nothing great to follow up our green cards with. Serpent Blade Assailant is the two and a green two one with backup one and death touch. You know, fine, but probably hoping for something a little bit better. And there are quite a few better cards here. There's Volcanic Spite, the one in a red deal three, can discard a card or rather put it on the bottom of your library if you do draw a card. There's Preening Champion, two and a blue two two flyer makes a one one token along with it. And some more good red cards in the uncommon slot. There's Stoke the Flames, Deal four with Convoke for four mana, and Invasion of Regatha, two in a red, battle, five defense. When it enters the battlefield, it deals four damage to another target battle or opponent, and one damage up to one target creature. Flips into a 4-4 with Prowess that has uh, whenever a non-creature source you control would deal damage to a creature, battle, or opponent, it deals that much damage, plus two instead. Yeah, I think that is essentially a red-green-gold battle that you should be expecting to wheel. I think this is mostly between the, the two red removal spells and Preening Champion, and I think I would land on Preening Champion as a more flexible card that's similarly powered in a better color. I mean, I, I'm totally fine to draft red, but red can get awkward if the only thing you're getting from red is the removal spells without right. other good cards to complement those removal spells. So I think Preening Champion just sets you up for better future success. Also pairs a little bit better with Ozolith as a creature, potentially. Yeah, I totally agree. Pack one, pick three. And again, not great commons. I mean, that's sort of a theme among them. Um, maybe the best of the bunch or one of the only ones we've shouted out this episode is Cut Short. Two and a white for an instant with Convoke. Destroy target Planeswalker that was activated this turn or tapped creature. Um, I guess there's like Order of the Mirror as a blue follow-up. The one and a blue 2-1. Transform it uh, into a 3-3 three, three that whenever it's blocked, that creature gets minus one, minus one until end of turn. Moving on to the uncommons, there's Invasion of New Capenna. 
But do you have you ever played this card? This is a uh, white black for a four defense. When it enters the battlefield, you can sack an artifact or creature when you do exile target artifact or creature in opponent controls. And it flips into an equipment, holy frazzle cannon. Whenever equipped creature attacks, put a plus and plus one counter on that creature and each other creature you control that shares a creature type with it. Equip cost of one. I've played it once, never flipped it. Okay. And then lucky boy, Lutri the Spell Chaser. This is another companion. One is it is it for a three two with flash. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it, copy target instant or sorcery spell you control. You may choose new targets for the copy. And its companion clause is each non-land card in your starting deck has a different name. Yeah, I'm in on Lutri here. And I think getting it this early, you should be planning to companion Lutri when you see it this early. Right. This is exactly what I talked about with Lutri in the video is it's not about this card being worth it because it is. It's about when you see it. Like if you see this in pack three and you have three preening champions, I'm not giving that up, right, to play Lutri. But I will, like now, I will alter my pick order and pass future preening champions for one-ofs of other cards that I see to be able to companion Lutri. I do think it is that powerful. Right. And I think the difference between you and I regarding companions is you're you're 100% to companion Lutri from this point, right? I think so, yeah. And I'm probably like 66% to companion at 50%. Like, it's tough. And I think you would do the same things where like, if there's an empty pack with your second preening champion, you're taking your second preening champion. I just sometimes end up chickening out and not not companioning the companions. I got I got I wish I wish you wouldn't. Like, that's all I can say <laughs> is that I wish I wish that you wouldn't. Um, Pack one, pick four. This is curious. I wonder if we. I might make a different pick here now. So there is a temporal cleansing, three and a blue sorcery with Convoke. The owner of target non-land permanent puts it into their library second from the top or the bottom. Nothing else really at common that I want to shout out, but all three uncommons I do want to shout out. So there's Sunblessed Guardian, good two drop, one and a white two two, transforms for five and a Phyrexian into a three three. Uh, when it attacks, create a tapped and attacking token that's a copy of it, and it gets as many plus and plus one counters on it as you know the initial copy had, and you exile it at the end of combat or at the end of your turn rather. There's Gift of Completion we talked about. This is Ben keeps wanting to shout this out as uh, Seraph's pack mate, one of the black <laughs> enchantment. <laughs> you don't like it, that comparison. ETVs. Well, just like there is an, a Seraph's pack mate in Eyes of Gataxius, right? Like that's the that's the Seraph's pack mate because it does say draw a card. Yeah, but it's so much harder coming down on turn three, bro. That's like the fifth best common in the set. Data, data, data. No. Okay. Um, Get out of here. This is uh, one of the black enchantment ETVs incubate three, and whenever a Phyrexian you control dies, you surveil one. And then there's Invasion of Kamigawa, the four mana, four defense battle. When an ETB is tap target artifact or creature and opponent controls and put a stun counter on it, and it transforms into rooftop saboteurs, two, three flyer. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a player or battle, draw a card. I wonder if I'd make, I took the Invasion here. I wonder if I'd make the same pick today. I, I think I know why I took Invasion, but I'm curious your thoughts on this uh, on this pick. Yeah, I would not take Invasion here. I would take Temporal Cleansing for a couple reasons. I think Cleansing functionally costs less than four. Yep. And I, th- I think it is good on both offense and defense. Like if you have a board presence, it lets you leverage attacks. It's also good with Lutri. And I think it's also pretty good defensively if you get yourself a board presence. And I think right now the cards we have, Printing Champion, Lutri, Ozolith, don't lend themselves to wanting to flip battles necessarily. I think I think right. wanting to flip a battle like Invasion of Kamigawa is a play for power in like a blue-white knight's deck. Mm-hmm. But you should pick it up late. And it will be a powerful card if you do manage to flip it. 
but you've already got enough power from other places that I don't think you need to try to get your power from setting up a board state where you flip invasion of Kamigawa. And even then, I think this is one of the less impactful battles. So I I like temporal cleansing here over the battle. The problem is, is that temporal cleansing is common and invasion of Kamigawa is uncommon. Got to take those uncommons above commons because I'm only going to get to play one copy of temporal cleansing in this deck. I'll be able to pick one up. Yeah, that that, that was my thinking. So I I stand by it. I think if if I'm 100%, as you said, to companion Lutri, I do think like taking the invasion here is defensible. Fair. I would say your Lutri deck's likely to not want invasion of Kamigawa at all, though. That's interesting. Yeah. And and perhaps, I, I don't know if I ended up with a copy. I didn't. I end up in a blue-black deck. And so maybe I should have even been thinking about the gift of completion, but I was not thinking about blue-black as a possibility for this deck. I do think gift of completion is the best card in the pack. Yeah, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So maybe I should have just taken that. And I would also say Sunblast Guardian, I don't think is very good. I think that is not a very good two drop because it's a two mana two two, right? Until later in the game. And by later in the game, you've already lost if your plan is to flip Sunblast Guardian. I I think it's pretty bad, actually. Yeah. So uh, next pick, I grab an Etherblade agent. That's the two mana one one death touch that transforms. Pack one, pick six, a card that I've been impressed by. Tetsuko Umazawa Fugitive. This is in Oof. the uh, the Multiverse Legend slot. This is one of blue, one three. Creatures you control with power or toughness one or less can't be blocked. There's a lot of like cute stuff, especially with green, where Thespian we keep talking about had being a three power uh, creature that is unblockable. But Tetsuko does both, right? It as a two mana one three protects battles, and it also enables attacks with creatures to pressure battles. Yeah, card's been good. Um, and then I get an Afaris Dispersal pick seven and a Vanquish the Weak pick eight. That's the three mana destroy target creature with power three or less. And that more or less solidifies me into going blue black and get a really nice blue black uh, Lutri deck at the end of all this, splashing Invasion of Tolvada as a, a black white battle off of an Alabaster Host Intercessor. This will all be in uh, in our show notes if you want to take a look at this, the rest of this draft log in this deck. But it's just a just a banger of a deck. I sent this to you afterwards. I was like, 7-0 with my next deck, got to Companion Lutri, and you were like, but also your card quality is off the charts. Yeah, power level was just way higher. Yeah. All right. If you're not drafting for power, go forth, pick some good cards, manufacture some power, and crush your opponents in March of the Machines. This format is going to be awesome to podcast about. Yeah, can't wait. Super excited. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there, and we really hope that you do, head over there for any and all purchases. As Ben said, sets like Cube. Just go over there, grab a box of packs, tuck it away in the closet, take it out in a few years, draft with some friends. And when you do, when you check out there, use code LOL to let them know we sent you there. And even better get 5% off your order. Um, you can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. A full eight-hour stream yesterday from him. Uh, you don't want to miss those. And also check out our YouTube channel. I'm dumping out content there pretty consistently. That's youtube.com slash Lords of Limited. So lots of great content for you in addition to the podcast. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
the best white common or the most wh- powerful white common is divine intervention, which is the the one in a white and, combat angel- trick. Angelic. Angelic intervention. Angelic intervention? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Card names. Overrated. I know. And that takes us to another segment where we're going to talk about the most powerful commons, but the most powerful white common is angelic? <laughs> angelic? Angelic? Yes, angelic. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.